Uh, I want to introduce uh, for you kind of the next sermon series that we're embarking on. Uh, and many of you know this about me, uh, but for those of you, maybe if you're new or if you didn't know this, um, I grew up in a missionary home. And so I, uh, my, my parents worked with a missions organization called the Navigators, which focuses on disciple making on military bases and in universities. Um, and, and so I am, don't hold it against me, but I am affectionately and fearfully known as a missionary kid, an MK. And um, telling people this over the years has, has had a, has, has been a little bit frustrating at times. It's been interesting because when I tell somebody that I'm an MK, usually the next question that comes up is, oh, really? Where were your parents missionaries? Where did you grow up? Uh, and I know what's in their mind. They're thinking of some exotic third world country or something like this. And as soon as I hear that question, I would cringe because now I had the daunting task of trying to explain to them that my parents were missionaries in Southern California. <laughs> well, that's a mission field for sure. Um, but I'm, I have to admit that that was a disconnect for a lot of people. And to be honest, a bit of a disconnect even for me as a kid. Uh, in sort of the childish mind of little Eric Johns, uh, which is probably not too hard to imagine, but uh, missionaries are supposed to live in the jungle, right? They're supposed to be in Africa or in a third world country. Uh, they're supposed to dress funny. That's like part of the job description. They homeschool their kids. They speak other languages. They're fascinated by other cultures, and they don't seem to always fit too well within their own. That seems to be the stereotypical missionary, at least in the mindset of little Eric Johns. And uh, I have all kinds of baggage growing up as a missionary kid. In fact, one of the sort of the terrible moments for me is uh, going back, this is, a, I was 12, 13, we went back to Michigan to one of our supporting churches, and, and my sister and I, Katrina and I, were walked into the mission supply closet to the dread of MKs everywhere. And, you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned, the church just wanted to bless us with some supplies and some things that we might like. And so here we were just kind of trying to fit in and, you know, be, in this, be guests in this church. And we were walked into this closet where we could choose an afghan and, you know, a can of peaches and, and uh, various different things. And it just was sort of humbling to have these things in our hands, standing in the foyer in front of everybody. And uh, so I have all kinds of baggage from this. That's, but that's, a, that's another sermon or therapy session, whatever we want to call it, for another day. But the unintended message that I heard from Christians growing up was that missions work was over there. And it was done by other people. And the way that stateside Christians participated in missions work was to send money or to collect resources. That's the unintended message that I received. And I want to tell you that now as sort of a recovering MK and as a pastor, one of the burdens that I feel is to impress upon the church the truth of the scriptures that is this, that we are all of us missionaries. Right here where God has placed us. And, and even saying that, I cringe a little because I don't want to take away from or belittle the sacrifices that some missionaries make. They leave family. They do go far away. They learn a different language. They learn a different culture. They do dress funny so as to fit in. Uh, quite frankly, some people in their missions work make greater sacrifices than others. And that's just the case. And I believe the Lord will reward them for that. 
But not one of us in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ can say that we ourselves are not missionaries. That's a lie. And so my goal in this four-week series is really to hopefully remind you of, or maybe for some of you, create a new sense of identity for you in Christ Jesus. That is to see yourself as God sees you, and to behave as God wants you to behave, and that is recognizing you are a missionary, and that you have a distinct mission field. And by the end of this series, I hope that you would quite frankly be able to answer that question, where is my mission field? And so I'm going to provoke you for the next four weeks along the lines of this question. Uh, very often, in fact, you'll see, that, actually before I get to that, let me show you something. This is pretty cool. Uh, Cody Graham right here uh, provided this for us, uh, this little video that I think uh, you might appreciate here. So we'll get this going. Look at this. Where's your mission field, church? Look around. So, you know, if you need to spy on your neighbors or something like that, you might want to talk with Cody and see if uh, he can make his drone available for you. (laughs) Don't shoot it out of the sky, right? (laughs) Uh, But I thought this was a really cool way to just take a look at God has placed us here, but the mission field is not way over there. It's at least right here around us. In fact, very often in some churches, you'll see a sign right above the exit door, right? You you know what I'm talking about. It's this sign, and it says, you are now entering the mission field. And uh, I laid this out here for service, too. Um, I think we ought to have this sign. I I really like the idea of it, and so I, I put it out to you as a challenge. If somebody in here has the heart to do that, um, and, and to, to make something for us that we could put up there, I think we need to have that sign. And since, you know, first service, all of the members came from that service, maybe you guys have something to prove here. You know? So maybe someone from this service would build the sign. i just throwing out a little challenge. I just got to poke you a little bit. Um, but I like, the way, I like the message that that sign says. And maybe it's just, you know, the recovering missionary kid in me that that identity needs to be validated. Um, But I hope it's more than that. I have two simple points this morning by way of introduction to this series, and then we're going to hear from Donna Werder. And the first one is this. We have all of us been called to be missionaries. Uh, A couple years ago, I read a book by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert, uh, which is titled The Mission of the Church, or What is the Mission of the Church? It was an excellent book, and I highly recommend it to you. Uh, In fact, one of you has it, uh, because I lent it out and it hasn't come home yet, so if you have it, give it back. Uh, But I was startled by something that they said in that book. In fact, when I read a book, I read it with a pen so I can argue in the margins. That's how I know I've read it. Um, But uh, he made a statement in there that really got my attention. It was this. He said, we give too much prominence to the great commission of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I mean, them are fighting words, right? I click my pen, I'm ready to write. You know, what are you talking about? Let me give you the comment again. We give too much prominence 
to the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So at first, I found this quite shocking. This is a book about calling the church back to the center of its mission, which God gave to it. How can you say that we give too much prominence to this text? Where are you going, right? But the authors went on to show their point was not to diminish this text, but rather to show that it is just one of many commissioning texts within the New Testament saying the same thing. We have a stereophonic message in the New Testament that we are to be missionaries, and this is just one of our texts. And so I've listed out several of them for you in your notes, and I'm going to read through a couple of them quickly here. We have the Great Commission, of course, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we also have Mark 13, 10, which says, And the gospel must be first preached to all the nations. And in Luke 24, we find this. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then we find John 20, 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we find these commissioning texts not only on the lips of Jesus, but we find them even echoed by the Apostle Paul, and in fact carried out by the Apostle Paul. He says this, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In fact, the reason that we sort of arranged the service differently this morning is so that we could stand upon what we've just rehearsed together, the gospel. And recognize what God has done in us as the basis for what he has called us to do. Which is to be missionaries wherever he has placed us. Um, let, me, let me say this from the negative standpoint. Which might sound funny. but We have not been called to simply hunker down. Or to withdraw. Or to simply see ourselves as circling the drain until the kingdom comes, right? We're, we haven't been called to simply wag our finger at the wicked world. Some Christians are really good at that. Uh, this isn't what we've been called to. One of the trends that I see in the conservative American Christian culture is this. I would call it a new kind of monasticism which is another word, I think, for escapism. Hiding, 
hunkering down, disengaging, withdrawing, creating safe enclaves instead of being engaged as an effective witness. It's a lot easier to hide and to shrink back than to stay connected to this world and to do it out of love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a quote that I've given to you in your handout by George Davison Hunter in his book, which is titled, How to Save the World, which is quite an ambitious title if you ask me, but uh, nevertheless, a good one and a good book. And here's his quote. Conservatives of all confessions have been angry. Doesn't that identify the conservative world right now? Conservatives of all confessions have been angry about their loss of prominence as well as anxious on guard and self-protective in ways that have created walls between themselves and the outside world. Since the late 19th century, they have pursued this ideal by constructing a complex empire of parallel institutions in music, education, media, law, and the like that functions as a parallel universe to the secular world. In other words, we'd rather create a place that's safe and comfortable and sanitized and of our own kind and busy ourselves with these things rather than be connected to, engaged in, and witnessing to the world who does not yet know our Savior. And that's a problem in the church. It's retreating into this, again, at the best case, monasticism, at the worst case, escapism. We need to be faithfully engaged. We need to be missionaries where God has placed us. The kinds of words and descriptions that the New Testament uses to describe what has the task given to us is that we've been deputized, called to serve as ambassadors. We who are believers in Jesus are enlisted in the Missio Dei, the mission of God. We're commissioned to carry out God's mission on all the earth. We're commanded to be his witnesses and encouraged that he will give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he has asked us to do. But nothing speaks of retreating into comfortable Christian enclaves. Quite frankly, we have a world to save. And amazingly, God has entrusted us with that task. The second point I want to make this morning, the first is quite simple. We're all called to be missionaries. The second is this. We're all called to be missionaries where God has placed us. Now, I wish I could put a little bit of a parenthesis in here because maybe more accurately it would be this. We're all called to be missionaries at least where God has placed us because God may be calling you to a different place. He may be calling you overseas. He may call you to Africa or to a third world country. He may call you to dress funny and learn a new language and a new culture and eat strange food for the sake of the gospel. He may call you to do that. But he has at least in the meantime called you to be a missionary right where you're placed. Right where you are. We went through 1 Corinthians this past year. And if you remember in chapter 7, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Basically the church who was being infiltrated with the Uh, sort of the morals and and different things from the outside world. We're asking the question, now that some of us have come to know Christ, how is it that we're supposed to live as a faithful witness in this world? For some, they were married to unbelievers and had now come to know Christ. And the question was, do we leave this marriage? For others, they they were in a slavery situation, which is a lot lot like indentured servitude, and that's where they were. And they were saying, now that I've come to know Christ, should I try to escape? 
And so they had all of these questions which basically boiled down to the same thing, which was, now that I know Jesus and I'm saved, do I escape from the situation that I'm in? And time and time again, the Apostle Paul says the same thing three times in verse 17, 20, and 24. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. That's 17. In verse 20, each person should retain or remain in the situation they are in when God called them. In verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. If only Paul could have been clear, you know. (laughs) He kind of said it, you know, like, you're a missionary right now where you're placed, whether it is in your homes, in your places of work and business, or whether it's in the city at large. If you're in Christ, you have a mission, and you have a mission field. And you need to get on figuring out what it is. That is my, my goal in this series, to recognize that the mission field is not just over there, overseas, or to another culture, but that my mission field is right here where God has placed me. And so it might be our neighborhood, you know, for all the sophisticated questions we can ask just as the religious leaders did. And who is my neighbor, right? Let, let's just be real upfront about uh, your actual neighbor is your neighbor. You know, even in Alaska where we might live acres away from them, your actual neighbor is certainly your neighbor, if not more than that. Uh, it could be within your own family. And I know many of you, uh, you're, a, you're in a relationship with an unbelieving spouse or you have unbelieving children or unbelieving parents. There's a family member and you're close to them and they are your mission field. Uh, for others of you, it's your workplace. And I don't mean to say, because I think a lot of times what's heard is if the workplace is your mission field, that means you're only doing one of two or a couple of things. One, you're earning money so you can, earning money so you can fund missions. Or two, you're proselytizing when you're able to at work. And, and you know, I think one time something that's, that's forgotten in this, and we'll get into it later, is that your very work that you do and the manner in which you do it is in self a dignifying gift of God that he has given to you for the good of other people. And it can be done with a God-word heart that blesses the kingdom of God. But you'll have to come back for that whole message. And then finally, there's our city. And the struggles and the needs of our city are not indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be engaged in our own city. Unfortunately, when I say that, many of your minds go immediately to politics. And I'm not suggesting that. We need to be engaged in the political process. But when I say we need to be publicly engaged in our city, I mean a lot more than that. We quite frankly have bigger ammunition than politics. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the power of prayer and the influence of the Holy Spirit. We need to be engaged in the areas of our city that need us. I'm going to give you an opportunity to to get on with this right away. Thursday, this Thursday, is uh, National Day of Prayer. And from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock, I invite you to join with the rest of the church at Kramer's Field. Show up any time between 12 and 2, and we're going to do two things. We're going to walk around, and we're going to pray. Wouldn't it be cool if the people there just said, man, who are all these people? Oh, that's Bethel Church. What do they do? They're just praying. Just praying for our city. Praying for the salvation of people in the city who do not yet know him praying for the needs of the city, praying for our schools, praying for our leaders, praying for wise and godly decisions. And so I want to invite you to do that this Thursday, 12 to 2 at Kramer's Field. 
Um, some of you may be called to a life of missions elsewhere. But every person in this room is called to be a missionary right here where you're placed. Um, and I would tell you this. You can't be. You can't be a missionary over there if you're not yet one right here. Um, over the course of the next four weeks in this series, you're going to hear from some people in our church, some people that you know. Uh, I'm going to give sort of a, a brief introduction. Brief, nobody believes that, right? You didn't have to laugh so hard. I'm going to give a brief introduction, and then, uh, and then I'm going to bring up somebody within the church who's going to show you how God has been helping them do that, to be a missionary in that sphere in which they're placed. So you're going to hear from Peter Chapman uh, in his place of business. You're going to hear from Connie Johnson and some of the positions she's, she's been serving in in the community. Uh, and you're going to hear from somebody else whom I haven't selected yet. Could be you. Um, and so you're going to hear about that. But this morning you get to hear from Donna Werder, who has been a faithful witness in the neighborhoods in which God has placed her here in Fairbanks and now in Maine. Donna, would you come forward? And we're going to hear from her. 34 years working with CEF as a missionary. Uh, and I want to tell you guys this. My 14-year-old son, Aiden, uh, learned to walk in Donna's home. That's where he took his first steps. And a whole lot of kids have taken their first spiritual steps with Donna. So tell us about that, sister. Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. Boy, I still feel a major part of Bethel. I've actually lived in Alaska longer than I lived in Maine. I've been a yo-yo missionary, you know, I started in Maine and came to Alaska, now I'm back in Maine. Um, but it's just really good to be here this morning to share with you a little bit about what God is doing. And I, I did something this morning I've never done before, I left my notes at home, so how's that? <laughs> um, we'll see what, what happens as I talk. But I wanted to go back and share with you that my mom led me to the Lord when I was four or five years old, and I remember her um, telling me I was a naughty little lamb. <laughs> And I, I didn't know what the lamb was about, but I knew naughty. So, <laughs> so that day, uh, my mom led me to the Lord, and she was involved in Good News Club in, in Maine. And so I attended that and learned a lot about that. I attended New Brunswick Bible Institute. And while I was there, that was my Christian service, was a Good News Club. But because of the weather, you know, sort of like Alaska weather, <laughs> Um, the, the people that were supposed to train us hardly ever got to, to train us. And so I was very frustrated. I had this material, didn't know how to use it. So when I left New Brunswick Bible Institute, I said I'd never have anything to do with CEF again. <laughs> and uh, I learned you never say never. So um, I, after I was out of Bible school, I went to a special service at a church, and the, the speaker, who was not the, the normal speaker there, was talking about our talents and that you better be using them for God. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I work at a hardware store. I don't think I'm using my talents for the Lord there. So um, I knew what God wanted me to do. And, and my mom and her friend had even said, we already knew what God wanted you to do. You just had to figure it out. And uh, so I called CEF and got back involved with them. When I did, after I did a summer, work, a summer of work with them, I went to Child Evangelism Fellowship Institute, which is in Missouri, and when I finished there, I thought that CEF of Maine would ask me to come and work with them, but they didn't. And so I went, one of the gals I went to school with there at CEF it was from Anchorage, CEF. And she came back home, and she sent an application for me to work in Alaska. And it's like, man, that's a long ways away from Maine, you know. But I was going to a Christian Youth in Action camp, one of our CEF camps there, training camps. 
And I went to an old lady with this application, and I said, what am I supposed to do with this? And she said, why don't you just make it out and see if God opens or closes the doors? And for years, I've said God never closed anything. He just kept opening those doors until a year and a half later, I was in Alaska. I knew one person here, the person I'd met at CEF Institute, and she had just quit CEF and moved to Georgia. So here I was. Uh, <laughs> Wow, just totally starting over, and I enjoyed um, serving CEF in, in Anchorage, but uh, I met folks up here and moved up here in 1985 and loved Fairbanks and loved working here, and like Eric said, I, I taught a bunch of your kids in uh, Good News Clubs and Five Day Clubs, and what a, what a privilege to do that, and as my mom got sicker and sicker, I decided that I probably wanted to go back to Maine and wasn't sure how that would work with CEF, that's all I've ever done. And they just said, why don't you just come transfer with CEF and work here with us. So I now am part of a team of five. And what a, what a blast to have a team to work with. You know, I never have to teach alone if I don't want to. And that's amazing. And so my team is, um, Deb is, I don't know if she'd want me to give her age or not. But anyways, <laughs> she's 65. And uh, <clears throat> I said that low, right? And then um, there's Jenny and Kevin, and they're both about 24. And Chris is our newest member. He's 21. In fact, he's going to go to the Institute this fall, and he's a full-time worker. So um, Chris and I worked together a lot last summer because Kevin was extremely ill with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had stage 4, and we didn't know if he'd make it. And God has brought him through, and they can't find any cancer. So that's huge. And I'm glad that he's back because I had to take his place while he was gone. Um, but it's just really nice to see God working in our little group and um, how we how can we reach out to CEF Maine. CEF here is a, is large areas, but so is CEF of Maine. Southern Maine is a is a very long area, and um, so it's good that we're kind of spread out and um, just trying to find five day clubs and good news clubs in our areas. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about some of the different ministries we're involved in. Some of you are familiar with them, and some of, the, some of you aren't. But Good News Club is our, our, probably our biggest ministry. It's in the wintertime, and a lot of times it's in the elementary schools where God has allowed the door to be open for us to teach. And it's one hour or one and a half hours a week on, like, on Tuesday or something like that that we get to teach the kids. Five-day clubs is in the summer, and those we teach for an hour at one home, and then we pack up and we go to another place and teach another hour. The fair ministry is um, we have a little tent that we take to the fair and set up, and we do face painting with the wordless book colors. Some of you are familiar with the wordless book? The five colors that remind us of, of God. And we have a banquet. And they had that while I was gone. That was uh, not planned. But anyways, that was last night. No, it was Friday night. They had 350 people at their banquet. Um, and Eric's been talking about mission fields being at home. And I have neighbors that I rent from that don't know the Lord. And I was very impressed with God last, <laughs> last year, a year and a half ago, because she wanted to go to the banquet to find out what CF is about. And that's not all she heard, because she heard the gospel clear and plain, probably the clearest she'd ever heard in her life. And so it's just, we just don't know how God's going to use us. We just got to be open and ready to um, open our mouths when he asks us to. And so that's, that's one of my missions fields. We had birthday parties for Jesus. I used to do a ton of those up here. I love them. Um, just one time, an hour, an hour and a half, just celebrating Christmas and it being Jesus' birthday. Winter fun day we do in January, and that's when we have 
Well, Southern Maine and Western Maine usually get together, and the kids go skating and sledding and snowshoeing. And once again, the state director shares the gospel with them. But the neatest part about that ministry is kids coming and looking over 100 kids and saying, wow, I'm not alone. There's a bunch of other kids here that love Jesus. And that is so it's encouraging to me to, to take them. And a couple of years ago was the first time I took the kids. And once they go once, they're, they're hooked. Um, and so that's one of our uh, special ministries as well. Um, I have finally gotten into three schools in the same school district near where I live, so that's in my new mission field. And I'm just grateful that the Lord has given courage where I didn't know that I could, you know, draw that much courage from to talk to principals and superintendents and some of them that don't really want you around. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. So anyway, the Lord has granted me these three schools to go and teach in every single week. The public school. And I know that Joyce, the local worker, CEF worker here in Fairbanks, has now has clubs in two or three schools as well. So you need to pray for Joyce. She's your representative for CEF, and maybe you don't know her, but please do pray for her. Um, when we went to the, my third school, my newest school, just we only had like six weeks at the end of the school year, but now they, now they know what's going on, so we'll start up again in the fall. But I took a lady that was helping me in another club. Her name was Pat. And um, she's, well, she's older than me. I don't want to say elderly or old, so <laughs> she's older than me. And I took her with me, and she had heard a rumor that the principal of that school lived in a house that she grew up in. And so the principal and I are talking about Good News Club and getting into school, and all of a sudden she said, so do you live at such and such an address? And his eyes just go, yeah, <laughs> like how did you know that? And so she said, yeah, I used to live there, and it just blew everything wide open. God used that connection, and he had all kinds of questions about what the house was like then and why does it look like this here, you know. And it was just like, would you guys please come back to Good News Club? And so finally, my biggest question that we hadn't hit on yet was, can we send an invitation home with every child in the school? Because I don't have kids. I don't know kids in the school. Can we do that? And he said, what do you do with the other two schools, which are in the same school district? So I told him that those schools, it's amazing. Let us send home an invitation with every single child. And he said, well, whatever you do at that school, do at our school. And I felt like God had used that conversation with the two of them to just make him relax. And um, so that was a huge blessing. And uh, I just wanted to share about two or three of the kids I've had in club. George, a little boy named George, he's nine. I've taught for two or three years. And his mom called me one day and said, did you want to come to George's baptism? And it's like, baptism? I didn't know he was saved. <laughs> and so... So she said that when he went and talked to the pastor, and the pastor asked him when he was saved, he said, right in Good News Club. So he prayed his own prayer. And so I did get to go and see him get baptized, and that was really encouraging to me and to his parents, too, to, to have CEP represented. A girl named Ellie, um, I've taught a couple years as well, and at the end of last year, we had two or three junior hires. They were going into junior high. We were going to have only two kids in that club if they didn't bring some new ones. So I mentioned that one day, and then before the end of the year, there was two or three brand-new kids that Ellie had brought. And so I went to her one day. It, well, I was just talking to her in club and thanking her for finding these kids. And she just crossed her arms. She said, there, Miss Donna, you have your club for next year. And so it was just really cool to see that she understood that she needed to go out. That was her mission field, the kids she went to school with. Um, the, the, you know, the 
the people up at the UAF, if you're a student, that's your mission field, right? And these kids, were they knew where their mission field was, and so that was very exciting. Malachi was the newest one. He comes from an unchurched home. They don't know anything about God, and after a few weeks in Good News Club, he came to know the Lord, and I gave him a Bible. He was so excited about his Bible, and so one day he asked me, you know, he wanted to follow along, and I kind of skip around when I teach, so it's been interesting for me to reteach myself to do it so he can follow along at least a few verses at a time. So anyway, he's watching, and he's looking, and his finger's on the Bible, and finally, right in the middle of the club, he said, wow, it's there. It's really there, and it was just exciting for him to figure out that it's not just what Ms. Donna is saying, it's what God says to him. And so it was just really fun to see that reaction from him and to, to see him grow in the Lord by leaps and bounds. And we never know how this is going to work in the, in the lives of the parents. Um, I know when I was, before I came to Alaska, my, one of my first five-day clubs in Maine was at my mother's house. Talk about your own mission field where you live, you know. And the only one that came was a little boy from across the street. His name was Jerry. He was my brother's age. And every day we'd teach him the verse again because nobody at home was encouraging him. And so on Thursday he came and he knew his verse. And it's like, wow, Jerry, how would you know the verse? Well, Grandpa taught it to me. Well, the verse was, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. I mean, it can't get much more clearer than that. We don't know how God used that. But we know that Jerry was in one sense teaching his grandfather this verse from the Bible. And he got to come back and read it. And then before the week was over, my brother actually led him to the Lord. And so you just don't know how God's going to use just a, a club with one child. And I just want to encourage you. I did want to say to Eric, too, I don't know where he is, but my church has that sign that he referred to earlier. What's it say? You are now entering the mission field. And so that's what we're doing when we leave here this morning. I want you to think about that just a little bit because I know it gets my heart. And as far as the kids are concerned, the verse that God's used in my heart the most is Matthew eighteen fourteen, And I know some of you know this. Even so, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that... What? Come on. Awana people, where are you? <laughs> that one of these little ones should perish. And it just reminds me they are perishing. And so I'm grateful for all the kids workers in this congregation because I still feel like this is my home. And um, just I challenge you with that verse to think about it deeply in your heart for the kids. I do all, uh, have a couple other things I wanted to mention. Out in the visitor area, there are some prayer cards if you want one with my information. And then I'm saying with Lily Morrill, she wanted me to tell you that we're having an open house on Tuesday night if you want to come out from 7 to 9, and we can talk a little bit more and get to know you. But I just wanted to say thank you to the church family again for letting me come and share. And uh, it just feels normal to sit here. And uh, thank you so much for letting me do that. Thanks.